0: Good morning. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Bob. <laughs> and uh, Just kidding. My name is Ben Robertson, and I'm the campus minister with Reform University Fellowship uh, at William & Mary. So if, if you're interested in Reform University Fellowship or, or you don't know what it is, well, there's a lunch afterwards that you, that you should go to if you're interested in the possibility of hearing about RUF starting at CNU. So I encourage you to go to that. It's been mentioned already, but let me, let me plug one for the team there. Um, if you go to RUF... At uh, William & Mary, I owe you an apology. Uh, This sermon is eco-friendly. It's recycled um, from about six weeks ago. Uh, You heard this at large group. Sorry. Um, Tune out. Yeah, write notes to your friends. Um, But we're in John chapter 4 for the rest of you. Um, uh, John chapter 4 verses 1 through 26 where Jesus sits down with a somewhat scandalous woman of Samaria at a well. And we'll read that story, John chapter 4. It's on page 888 in the church's Bibles, uh, if you have those. John chapter 4, starting at verse 1, the word of the Lord. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour, or noon. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, As for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well, and he drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one that you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said, Sir, I perceive you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship I know that Messiah is coming, He who is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for Your kindness to a stranger. Um, a conversation of kindness that has been recorded by Your friends uh, whom You gave Your Spirit was recorded and written down and passed on and passed on through the generations and now we have it right here. And we ask by your spirit that you would join us, that you, the living water, would illuminate this word and quench our thirst. Only you can do that and so we ask it in your name and in your name alone. Amen. Have you ever been thirsty? I think everyone's been thirsty. I I can think of an occasion in my life when I was incredibly thirsty. I was on a mission trip to Mexico, and there was a group of us uh, putting on a basketball camp uh, for a church to kind of recruit neighborhood kids and to to introduce them to the church and to to hang out. And we'd do a camp in the morning and a camp in the afternoon. And one day we were walking back to the church. It was about a mile and a half or two miles from the church to the outdoor basketball courts where we were. And this is a little town called Apodaca, Mexico, near the Texas-Mexico border. And we were walking back. It was a warm, hot day in July. We are walking back and we had run out of Gatorade. We were thirsty. We were hot. We were tired. And we were walking back towards the church. And that's a, that's a moment that I can remember in my life when I was incredibly thirsty. Have you ever been thirsty like that? Um, really craving something? Well, this passage is all about thirst um, and having that thirst quenched. Um, if you're a note taker, point number one is thirst or the thirst. Um, this passage is all about being thirsty here it is it's the middle of the day noon in a very arid climate and jesus traveling is wearied as he was the text says and he sits down by the well and this woman comes and he asks for a drink implicitly i'm thirsty give me a drink and they have this interesting conversation back and forth quickly denote the humility of jesus who a couple chapters earlier turned water into wine and here he is he could make anything that he wants. He can take care of himself if he wants to. But here he is, a true man in the flesh, tired and thirsty and asking for help from a stranger. Um, he was humble. Give me a drink to have the conversation back and forth. How are you going to get that? What are you talking about? And then he says, if you knew who I, who I was, don't you know who I am? You would ask me for living water. Again, the idea of being thirsty. And she takes him literally. This water that I never, I'll never, i never be thirsty again. If I could drink this water, that sounds nice. Don't want to come to the well in the middle of the afternoon anymore. Um, give me some. And then the conversation takes a strange turn. In verse 16. They're talking about water. She's not quite picking up on what Jesus is saying. He says this. Go get your husband. Go get your husband. I would like a drink of water. I would like a drink of water. Go get your husband. Change of subject. What's he doing? What is going on? Um, I remember that day in Mexico, walking back to the church, um, feeling very thirsty. And I remember seeing at a distance the church that was there welcoming us and working with us. They were incredibly hospitable. And every day as we'd come in from the basketball courts, they would have a snack for us, uh, something to eat and something to drink. And so we're walking back to the church excited for that snack. And that day we could see from a distance the paper Dixie Cups, filled with chunks of watermelon, chunks of watermelon in their own juices. Um, And I can remember seeing that from a distance and being, oh, so excited because you're so thirsty. And I'm from the South. I I don't know if people do this up north, but I know in the South when we would have cookouts and and picnics in the summer, you'd cut open the ice-cold watermelon that had been sitting on ice all day, and you'd cut it up, and I can remember just, you know, running in off the playground or being part of the the picnic or whatever and just inhaling that watermelon, just guzzling it in, almost drinking the watermelon. I was like, oh, I actually get to actually drink watermelon this time. Here it is in a cup in its own juices. And I'll never forget taking that cup and bringing it to my mouth and what it tasted like. It tasted like the ocean (laughs) with an extra teaspoon of salt stirred in. It tasted It was salty watermelon, and it wasn't cold. It was warm. It was like warm salt salt water from the ocean. It was like a saltine cracker dipped in salt sauce. Okay, it was salty. And I remember putting it to my mouth and being so excited, and then that horrid realization that I was drinking salt water. And I looked up at my friend Trey, who was on the mission trip with me, and he he just looked up at me, and we we had done it simultaneously, and just he took it away from his mouth and said, "Why? <laughs> uh, why would anyone do this?" Um, <laughs> And, of course, it's a cultural thing. I know some people do put salt on their watermelons. This was just sort of that taken to an extreme. I guess it's a a treat. It was a good thing. Um, You do lose uh, minerals when you sweat, too. And I guess they were wanting to replace those for us. Um, It's a cultural difference of taste. They meant no offense. But nonetheless, wow. Um, Why? What is this? This was not a pleasant experience. Uh, That's what Jesus is sort of doing for her. He's saying, look at the Dixie cup in your hand. Go get your husband. It's salty watermelon. You're trying to quench your thirst. You say you're thirsty. You have no idea how thirsty you are. You're so thirsty that you're trying to quench it on something that can't satisfy you. Her spiritual thirst. She's trying to quench by going from man to man to man to man. To find meaning, to find acceptance, to find belonging. And Jesus is saying it's not going to work. You need to know just how thirsty you really are. It's a salty watermelon. Uh, The prophet Jeremiah puts it like this. He he gives an image of broken cisterns. He says this, my people have done two things against me. They have two things against me, two sins. First, they have forsaken me, the spring of living water. Sound familiar? Forsaken me, and that's marital unfaithfulness language. They have forsaken me, the source of living, fresh, cool water. And two, they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. These ancient reservoirs that were used for containing the water. And even a good cistern had stale water in it. It was drinkable, but not great. And he's saying, I'm a fresh spring of water bubbling over. And you've dug broken cisterns, and not just cisterns that hold stale water, but broken ones that don't hold the water. And you're drinking that instead. And you're thirsty. Do you realize that this is why people have affairs? Or struggle with sexual sin? This is why people fornicate like this woman, because she's spiritually thirsty and she's seeking it somewhere. Do you realize that if that's your struggle? If you're having an affair or fornicating or struggling with sexual sin in the hundreds of ways that we can? It's a salty watermelon. (laughs) won't satisfy us, but we go for it. Or, if you're judging the people that you know do, the neighbor that you have who's cheating on his wife, the girl on the hall who sleeps around, do you realize that they're trying to quench their spiritual thirst? Do you see them with the eyes that Jesus has for this woman to say, yes, this is sin and yes, this is wrong, but what you really need is me? Trying to satisfy it or to realize that all of us do it in one way or another. It may not be, you may not be a fornicator in a literal sense. Um, this is why people drink and drink too much. We want to be satisfied. We want to have our need met. Um, but even things that are, that are normal, that are not like, over you know, obviously drunkenness and fornication are sort of big sins that we talk about. But maybe we run from relationship to relationship to relationship, one girlfriend after another, and you can't live for more than six weeks without being in some kind of relationship. Or some sort of friendship. Or maybe it's something really nice and good that people will pat you on the back back for. Maybe you're not the alcoholic, but you're the workaholic. It's your job. Many men cannot tell their bosses no to save their lives. You go in early, and you stay late, and you work, and you work, and you work, and you work, and you work. Or, or you're just so full. Maybe Maybe you're the stay-at-home mom, and you're the member of the PTA. And the HOA, and you're, you're, you sit on the board of the HOA, and you come to every single Bible study that you can, and you take your children to as many activities as you can get them to go into because you really, really want to be the, the mom, the super mom that Oprah and everyone else tell you that you're supposed to be. And it's just a salty watermelon. You feel empty, you feel thirsty at the end of it all because it can't really satisfy you. Now, Jesus, in saying this, go get your husband. It's not very nice, is it? It's a, it's a very, it had to be a very uncomfortable moment for this woman. The exposure of these things hurts. Jesus cuts, uh, but he cuts in order to heal, not to injure, but to help. He wants her to know that she's really thirsty, and she doesn't really know just how thirsty she is. And I think that she picks up on this. Verse 19, she says, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. And then she asks him a question. You say that you Jews say to worship in Jerusalem. We worship on this mountain. Who's right? Now, a lot of commentators um, think that she's changing the subject, that it's the pain of the exposure of her sin. And she says, okay, you're a prophet. Let's not talk about me. Let's talk about some sort of abstract theological question now. Let's talk theology, not me. Um, Maybe, but I'm not sure. I don't think so. I think maybe she's getting at what he's talking about. Either way, Jesus goes with it. Whether she's diverting or whether she's understanding, he says, yeah, let's talk about that. Let's talk about worship. Why? Because worship and quenching spiritual thirst are one and the same thing. Worship is the motive. Worship is the act of going to the thing that you think will most satisfy you. That in which you think is the greatest thing in the world is what you're going to go and you're going to worship. What you're going to give glory to. What you're going to honor. It's the motive behind the salty watermelon are you chugging on your job? Are you the workaholic? Well, it shows that you worship either money. You're working so hard because you've got to earn more. You want to, you want to get the promotion. You want to get the better job. Well, why do you want money? You, want, you worship money because you worship control. Because you worship power. Because you worship the ability to have comfort for yourself and for your family and for you to establish that for yourself. Or if it's relationships. You worship affirmation. You worship acceptance. You worship belonging. You you worship being told that you're good, that it's okay. What is it for you? What's your salty watermelon? Is it status, success, freedom, comfort, pats on the back, being told you're good, power? I have to say this to my students all the time. I've said it to some of them. Several of them, actually, in the last couple of weeks where I have to say. My salty watermelon, one of one of my salty watermelons is that it's acceptance approval. And I have to say. Truth be told, as your pastor. I'd rather have you like me than have you be sanctified. I worship your approval more than your holiness. That's wicked. And what happens when I get that approval great salty watermelon i've got approval and it can be taken away like that and after a little bit of approval has been given it's only about a day or 15 minutes maybe a week if i'm lucky before i need some more and i go back and i go back and chug that watermelon break that cistern because false worship never quenches the thirst Never quenches the thirst. And all these things that we chase, all these idols that we put up, all these things that we want to quench our thirst are just busting more holes in that cistern. Every time we take a swing at something better. She's worried that her worship is wrong. She's saying, I perceive that you're a prophet. Tell me how to worship. Because she knows what he's getting at. Well, how do do we quench the thirst? What's the real way to worship? How do we quench the thirst? Second point, if you're a note taker, first point was thirst. Second point is quenched. Quenched. How can the thirst be quenched? Shocker. The living water of Jesus is the only thing that will quench your thirst. Jesus has to give it. Jesus has to go and give it to you. And that's what he's doing in this text for this woman. He is going after her to quench her thirst. And he's going through anything and everything he can in order to get to her and do it. Here are the barriers he's breaking through. First, to get to this woman. The first barrier between he and the woman is that she is a woman. The disciples show up in verse 27 and they see him talking to a woman. And they, it's, the text says that they marveled that he was talking to a woman. But none of them asked him, why are you talking to her? Because um, they, they just didn't want to ask him. They thought, you know, he, he always gives me weird answers when I ask him questions. So you ask him. Um, <laughs> let's just leave this one alone. Um, but they They're shocked. That day and age, men did not talk to women in public or in private. If you were at the well with a, with a woman and you're a man, there's this invisible wall between you, and you don't speak. That person does not exist. Um, this would have been a, a major social faux pas that he's committing and actually be semi-scandalous. It's that, that people would look at with shock. He's not supposed to do this, but he's doing it because he loves her. Second barrier he's going to break down to fill her up. She's a Samaritan. She points this out herself. How can you, a Jew, talk to me, a Samaritan woman? And the text says that that Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. And one way of interpreting that or translating that is to mean that they couldn't even touch the same objects. For her to give him a drink of water, she would have to touch the cup and hand it to him. And that would make the cup ceremonially unclean, according to some Jewish law, which would make Jesus unclean, like he's not supposed to touch things she touches. The Samaritans were despised by the Jews. They were ethnically uh, different. They were considered half-breeds by the Jews. Um, They were religiously set apart. They had taken some parts of the Jewish faith and and cut some parts out and added other parts, and so they were despised as being corrupters of the faith. Um, There was simple racism going on as well. This would have been analogous to 50 years ago in the South um, when, when we lived under segregation. This would have been similar to a white man going to the quote-unquote colored water fountain with a young black woman and sharing a drink with her and having a conversation, the people in the culture would have stepped back and said, whoa, 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 we don't do that sort of thing around here. It's just ain't right. It's exactly how the people in the town would have viewed this. It's exactly how the disciples would have viewed it. He's breaking down all sorts of barriers to talk to her, to get to her final barrier. She's a woman, she's a Samaritan, and those are more cultural and social distances, but she's actually a sinner. She's a sinner, as we've covered. She's a fornicator. And not only that, did you notice the time of day that they're at the well? They're there at noon. If you lived in a desert climate, and you had to go to a well to get water every single day, what time of day would you go? Noon? Hottest part of the day? Did you notice they're alone? because no one else goes that time of day, why on earth is this woman going to a well at noon? Because at six in the morning, no one else wants her there. If you lived in a small town, women, and you knew that this woman has been sleeping around with multiple people in town, do you want her at the well with you? Stay away from my husband, right? And the men, they think no better of her have used her and abused her and passed her around. Not treated her with dignity, not treated her as the human being that she was, full of value and worth and beauty. No one wanted her. Except Jesus. He wanted her. And finally, The text shows how determined he is. In verse 4, it says, he had to go to Samaria. And if you look on a map, short version, geographically, it was not necessary for him to pass through this town. He did not have to go through Samaria. It's not saying, I was going to Norfolk, and so I had to go to Newport News. No, it would be more like saying, I'm going to Norfolk, and I had to go through Suffolk, which I really don't. The had to is the sense of divine necessity. That Jesus had to go because he had an appointment with this woman at the well. He had to go because the Father was seeking worshipers who would worship him in spirit and truth. And Jesus was determined to get her so that her thirst could be quenched, so her worship could be restored, so she could be set right. Does he quench it? Does he quench it? Notice in the text, the more that she learns of Jesus, the greater her faith becomes. Bit by bit by bit, she began in the conversation saying, what, are you better than Jacob? Sort of this sarcastic, you think you're better than Jacob? Really? And then as he talks about this living water, she says, okay, give me that water. Implication, maybe you are better than Jacob. And then she says, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Wait a second. You've come from God. God speaks to you. And God speaks through you. Tell me. And then she says, how do I worship? Is my worship right? This mountain or that mountain? In other words, how do I get to know God? Take me to him. Is my worship correct? And then finally, she asks the question. She says, I know that when Messiah comes, he will tell us everything. And you've been telling me a lot. There's an implied question, and he answers it. I who speak to you am he. And then a few verses later, she's running back into that village full of people who hate her and abuse her and saying, I think I've found the Messiah. Could this be him coming here? Why? Because in this learning process, as she encounters Jesus, he is filling her up. He is working in her life. He is satisfying her thirst. Now, listen, with this living water that you'll never be thirsty again, he says, but I know some of you are here, and you're saying, okay, look, I'm a, I'm a Christian. I've been following Jesus for years, and I just feel empty. What's the deal? How's this really going to help me? That's great for her, but I just feel empty. We'll close with a story. Uh, when I was in college, I, I went to a school called Covenant College, and there was this Old Testament professor. His name was Henry Krobendam, and some of you may know him. Uh, everyone called him Dr. K, and he's an older, older man. He's, he's originally uh, he's Dutch. Um, and he had a problem with his voice uh, when he was about in his 40s. And so he has this sort of voice box problem, but his voice sort of recovered. But he sort of has this unusual, big, slow voice. And he, 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 he talks like this. He says, oh, ladies and gentlemen, how are you? And he would record all of his lectures. And for some reason, he liked to pick on me. He had, he had known my father before I went to school there. And so he would single me out. And he loved to ask questions to which there is no answer um, kind of like Jesus uh, w- does to people. Um, but he liked to ask me that question on tape. You know? And so he would ask these bizarre riddles. And it, my freshman year at the beginning, I would say things like, uh, John 316 maybe, I don't know. And, um, or Jesus is wonderful, That's the an- is that the answer? No, that's not. You, know? and you can go get tapes at Covenant College because he taped them and filed them in the library. You can find Ben Robertson's voice saying, I-, I finally learned to just say, I don't know. I would lean into the microphone and say, I don't know. And one time he asked this question. Um, he said, okay, you are a barrel or a bucket full of holes <laughs> with no top and no bottom. And the more you try to put water in it, the more it runs out. How are you going to fill the bucket? I don't know. <laughs> and he would say, oh, I'll tell you tomorrow. I said, Okay. Um, well, a few, several years later, I, I went on a mission trip with him to Uganda. He had this wonderful ministry in Uganda. I was there with him for four weeks. By the way, I'm not Mr. Mission Trip. I've named the two mission trips I've been on uh, in this sermon. But um, he was telling—he he told us a story of how he was teaching this exact same lesson to a group of Ugandan students. And he said afterwards, he said, I'll, t- I'll tell you tomorrow. And this young man came up to him. Now, bear with me because I'm going to have to do young Ugandan an elderly Dutch man with a voice box problem at the same time. So here we go. He said, Ah, oh, Dr. K, tell me the answer now, Dr. K. He said, No, sir, I'll tell you in the morning, wait till tomorrow. He says, it's, it's a teaching device, you gotta think on it for a while, right? No, Dr. K, I must know now. Oh, sir, go to bed, it's okay. No, Dr. K. And he was getting frustrated back and forth. And finally, Dr. K. grabbed him by the shoulders and said, Why? Why must you know now? And he said, Because, Dr. K., if you don't tell me now, I will be empty until tomorrow. He told that story to our class and he looked around the room and he said, All oh, ladies and gentlemen, did you ever know you were that thirsty? I have not. See, the young man gets it. I'm empty. I'm empty. So Dr. K said, so I, I had to answer the question. So as you take the bucket and you submerge it in the river of living waters of Jesus, you submerge it in Jesus, he's right. We're empty. Now, I'm not saying it's this simple. And Jesus isn't saying, once you've come to me, you're just, everything's great and you never struggle. Of course, that bucket bobs up out of the water again and again and again in so many ways. The bucket comes up, just a few more clicks on the computer. It wouldn't hurt to just have dinner with her. No, no, Jesus. I come to you. You fill me up, not that. Or if if you're like me and it's affirmation, they don't like me? How can this be? How dare they say that about? No, Jesus. I don't live for that. I live for you. Fill me. Take me. Fill me up. to overflowing like this woman to where it actually flows out of her by the end of the text and she's talking to others and saying, come and meet this man. He told me everything I ever did. And the people show up and like her, they believe. Let's be like her and be like them and go to Jesus to be filled. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you satisfy you satisfy our deepest longings you meet and you supply our every need and so lord jesus we come to you struggling yes broken yes full of holes yes but holes that you can patch that you can fill that you can plunge into yourself by your spirit we ask that you do that for each of us and so now lord even in song we come to you we leave these things behind these things that cannot satisfy and cannot save and we come to you the true Savior, the true living water, and the only one who can quench the thirst. It's in your name that we come to you. Amen. Please stand with me and sing as we come to Jesus.